Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everybody, it's us. We're starting a cult. We are starting a cult. Yep, yep. That's Grant Bradkey. I'm Jake Wallen. It's we have us. Mitch here with us today. What's up? Wow. Wow. That was sensual. That was good. All right. So, I hope today, today we, we've had lots of wacky conversations, but at the end of this day, it's going to come down to some spooktastic things. Yeah, I said it was. Uh, I said last week, I think that it was. But it was definitely going to be a uh, two-parter. That's well, no. That's no longer the case, because we'll uh, explain at the end. Yeah, once we. Yeah. So, um, what we're going to be covering today is the uh, the uh, you know the duo of investigating the demonologists, uh, Mr. Ed and Lorraine Warren. Yeah, the big yep. the big tunas of. The ghost world, and honestly, of the film world nowadays, they're in a bunch of fucking movies and shit. And they're, I mean, they're not bad movies. We could say that. They're all right movies. We watched a few of them in preparation for this, just to kind of, I don't know, see what the movies have to offer, as opposed to what the stories. Yeah, well, we've been have reading the past uh, couple of days, but um, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, not we're gonna, bad. We're gonna get into some real hairy things with them at a certain point in this episode. But what we're gonna do is oh that's yeah see it's funny. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna start uh we're gonna go in order here of just like the progression of their cases and kind of where life took them uh, internationally and uh, across the <clears throat> state, if you will. Yeah, yeah. There's really yeah. Well, I'll I'll bring that up later. So I guess without further ado, we'll get into uh, who these human beings are exactly, huh? Shall we? Yeah. So Ed and, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Uh, Ed was born Edward Warren Minnie. 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 That's a good name, I guess. Mickey uh, Mouse's wife. Right? I think. Should yeah. be. If Are it they isn't. married? I don't think there's marriage in that world. They're they're mice, it doesn't matter. Whoa. Are mice married? I don't th- I think they can in this universe. Uh, I don't in know. In the Disney world? I have no idea. In, Goofy in has the Disney kids, world, yeah. I don't Goofy's know. He's got kids. Minnie and Mickey are married. Okay? Yeah, but is Goofy married? Does he ever show his wife? I don't know. I think he's a deadbeat dad that... Oh, wait, no, that wouldn't make him a deadbeat dad. He takes care of the kids. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's a good guy. What about Daffy Duck? Isn't he... Is he married? No, he has nephews. Yeah. Oh, wait, oh, no, so that, no, that's knows. Donald Duck. That Wait. Daffy is... 
Daffy's the yeah. All right, so That's yeah, a, no, a, Donald Duck has here, nephews, yeah. and I think Daffy Duck has also nephews. I th- I don't know. No, I don't think Daffy Duck has nephews. We're getting off topic. Yeah, I don't. Oh, well, anyway, uh, yeah, it's Edward Warren Minnie. <laughs> Minnie. <laughs> uh, he was he was born September seventh of nineteen twenty six, and um, he died August twenty third of two thousand six. Wow. So solid, uh, solid Big amount of years. Yeah, solid eighty years. But uh, and then Lorraine Rita Warren uh, was born January thirty first of nineteen twenty seven, and she died April eighteenth of two thousand nineteen. So like. Like, uh, like a couple months ago. Yeah, three months ago. Isn't that crazy? But yeah, they both uh, they were both born in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and they met at the age of sixteen when Lorraine was going on a blind date to like the movies, and then uh, Ed was working as a like an usher at the at the movie theater, and they fell in love. So they went and like they had all this date. They had this date right, and at the end, apparently, Lorraine, who before this had been having like these sort of uh like flashes like uh like visions and she was told by her aunt i believe that um these that kind of thing was like hereditary like in her family like the women of the family like her grandma and her aunt and her now she was like a, a psychic medium sort of thing ah nice yeah so the extra um, medium if you will yeah so at the end of this date Lorraine supposedly had like a premonition or like a vision of Ed's death and she said that was the moment she knew that she was going to marry him. And that's, that's not first date conversation. It isn't. And it's exactly what she said to him. It's, oh, really? It's, yeah. She like oh, brought it snap. up that day, I'm, I'm pretty sure. That's a bold move. That yeah. is bold as shit. That is like, he, like pulling yeah. up to the first date. And you're just like, here's an engagement ring. What do you want to do yeah. with this? But then he did go to the Navy to fight in World War II the next year. He signed up. He signed, <laughs> he signed up. He was like, we got to get away from Lorraine. Fuck that shit, dude. I but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so they met at sixteen. Uh Ed, he like joined the Mar- he actually tried tried to join the uh the Navy at sixteen, but they wouldn't let him. It was probably the day after that date. But um and probably. then yeah, when he turned seventeen, um yeah, he went off to the Navy, fought in World War Two, he came back and became a cop. He was a cop for a while, but um yeah, so uh then he progressed from there to becoming a self taught demonologist. Yeah, well, actually, what I found interesting is uh, the step in between that, he was actually, uh, he would paint in his off time. Yeah, he was kind of an artist. And uh, that was, it was kind of cool information. If you've seen The Conjuring 2, uh, there's a scene where he's, like, painting and there's, like, a shit ton of his paintings. And that that actually is real. But what he would do is he would go to, like, local areas and houses specifically that uh, were reported haunted. And he'd sit outside, and he would just paint the house. Like, just an actual, nothing creepy, nothing spooky. He would just paint the house. Yeah. And then, usually, he would, like, go, when he was done, he would go up and uh, knock on the door and give them the painting and say, like, hey, you know, I heard the stories, blah, blah, blah. I, I painted this for you. I want you to have it. And uh, more times than not, they would let him into the house and kind of tell their story and, like, oh, you know, it's haunted because of this, or it's not haunted, blah, 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 blah. And he'd end up getting the grand tour, essentially, with a little explanation. And then this, uh, along with his wife's ability to, or like the powers of a medium. Yeah, she was a clairvoyant and a light trance medium. Right, so with these two combined with his interest and knowledge of local hauntings and things of that nature, and her gift, if you uh, 
you'll accept if that. If you'll term. call that, then yeah. Uh, they started researching uh, ghost cases and studying demons. What's a light trance medium? You, you know, know, it's a medium. It's just a medium. It's just a medium. Oh, just a, she goes into she goes into trances, probably a light yeah, sleeper. It's oh, sort of uh, the equivalent of that. It's or, essentially... They, she's lightly into the trance. At least maybe. the way it's portrayed on film, it's a little bit different. It's, I guess the best way to put it would be like premonitions. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more than just like sitting down and like, oh, I can read your aura or this is what you're telling me. It's visions that particularly come through esp if you will oh, yeah i thought it, it sounded like she was seeing like a light or something like a bright light in her like trance or whatever that was one of her methods of i'm sure these beings yeah i'm sure that that's uh if you said that in front of her i'm, sh- I'm sure she would agree with you and a lot of the interviews that we watched with her like uh the interview would just kind of say something like she, she would be like all right there's like a there's an aura around my head and they're like is it always there what does it do she's like oh yes it is it's always there and uh, it does uh, It does this, and like that kind of thing. So they kind of seem to just go along with interviewers. Yeah, they kind of just a certain play point. it for the media. But, uh, we'll get into that. Yeah, too. we'll get into that. But um, but so, yeah, so uh, sh- he came back, he became a cop, he started doing demonologist stuff uh, after he started painting these houses. And uh, so they were married. And uh, in 1952, they founded the New England Society for Psychic uh, Research, and it's the like oldest ghost hunting group in New England supposedly. Nice. And um, they claim to have been a part of over 10,000 cases. Yeah. yeah. Now, see, those numbers are kind of hard for me. But Especially I guess since when you really they claim When you look at their career, I mean, it spanned the demon hunting. It was 40, 45 years yeah, they of had a long, researching. They had a long go of it. And a lot of these cases are kind of glossed over for the purpose of film. But they were involved in a lot of high-profile things, but not necessarily as, like, the main investigators. Yeah. More as consultants or, I guess, the biggest proof here is that in the movies they paint them to be, like, councilmen for the church, essentially. Yeah. Where if the church wants to step in, they need proof. And they send the Warrens in to get that proof. The reality was nowhere near the truth. That's not how that operated at all. They were essentially just ghost hunters that got very famous because of certain cases. And, I mean, good luck, really, with the news and all that. They kind of meshed together in a perfect time. Yeah, they said they, they inspired dozens of films, like, which everyone, like, has probably heard of. Like, uh, there, there's, like, 17 films in the Amityville, like, horror series and, like, the all of the Conjuring Universe movies. and Yeah. Yeah. And they're in... About 90% of those. I mean, not yeah. them personally, but characters either based or dedicated to them are in that film. Yeah, and they're given credit for a lot of the uh, the casework done on those things. So here's where we're going to get into some of the cases. And there, I'll say this now. The reason that this isn't going to be a two-parter is because there's a lot of information on both sides of the spectrum here. Now, there's abundance of information about the Warrens' actual cases and the things they did, the things they saw. Yeah. Their evidence. I mean, they have the famous, you know, occult museum and all that stuff. But then also, there's a lot of skeptical answers to what they say that never have really gotten enough credit, I would say. I mean, people people tend to debunk things like this all the time. 
but they don't. The Warrens didn't often fight back on debunking clauses, which no. can be both interesting and a little worrisome when it comes to the truth. Yeah. So I guess what we're going to do is we're going to start here with probably the most famous case, uh, at least nowadays in 2019, yeah, probably. Annabelle. Everybody knows that fucking doll. Yeah. That stupid little fucking doll and... Everybody <laughs> thinks they know the story. You're very angry about this. <laughs> well, the doll in the movie isn't even what the doll looks like in real life. It's a Raggedy oh, well, Ann doll well, in real yeah, life. Yeah, they got to play it up for the movie. Yeah, so there's that. Spookier, but yeah, and it, it, yeah, the actual case happened in uh, 1968, and yeah. it was where like a Raggedy Ann doll was supposedly possessed by a girl named Annabelle Higgins. Right. Yeah. So what happened was there were uh, there were these two roommates and. Uh, they were both nursing students, and one of the moms sent them a doll as a gift, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, at, uh, fucking time goes on, the doll's doing weird shit. They're noticing uh, weird kind of ghostly activities, if you will, shit being misplaced. Yeah, that kind of, things just moving, not being where they were and when then, they left the room. Believe it or not, the two roommates held uh, multiple seances in their apartment to try and uh, figure out what happened here. And one of the mediums that they hired ended up uh, explaining to them that the doll was possessed by a little girl who was no older than 11 years old named Annabelle Higgins who had died and her soul was trapped in the doll. So they let it stay. Uh, blah, 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 blah. The Warrens fucking show up. And the funniest thing is that there's not a ton of information on what the Warrens actually did. Yeah. Pretty much all they did was they blessed the house and they took the doll and they locked the doll in their occult museum where it's blessed by a priest every two weeks. Yeah. And now, okay, interesting story. Yeah, it leads for a great series of movies. Leads for some creepy pictures and shit on the internet. Yeah, I mean, the reason... Nightmare Fuel. Yeah, it is Nightmare Fuel because, like, the the story that you just heard Grant, like, say, like, that's not very scary. It's just kind of like, oh, man, she's stuck in that doll. That sucks. She's dead. Whatever, we'll, like, keep her around. And then the Warrens show up. And they're, like, demonologists, so they inevitably, like, connect it to demons and say it's, like, a possessed thing and, like, this evil entity. And they take it away just as something that they can make money off of, charging $13 per person to go into their occult museum, which is actually just a basement yeah, uh, full of this stuff. And uh, just another thing, contrary to the film uh, portrayal, it's not in a glass case. It's kept in a wooden case with a plastic window that you could see through. It's not a pure glass case where it's shown on all sides. Yeah. The only there are a couple cool things that they did in the movies of this. Uh, there is the same warning label on the glass is in real life. The same warning label on the box, and then there's a tarot card with the devil on it taped mm. above, or it's like above it's like, to the left. Yeah, of on the, the side case. of it, and that's in both of the situations. Now. The one thing that really caught my attention when I was looking into Annabelle, because I, I'm not particularly fond of the Annabelle story opposed to the others, but I felt like it was worth mentioning just because of the popularity. And uh, if you jump back into your time machines all the way to 1963, there is actually a episode of The Twilight Zone, The Living Doll. Yeah. And the whole plot of the 30-minute show is that the mother, whose name is Annabelle, buys a doll for her daughter, who turns out to be possessed, and starts torturing the family. That is the entire plot of the episode, down to the fucking name. And lo and behold, five years later, 
this story happens. Yep. Oh, it's just a coincidence, you know. Yeah, you it's know. a coincidence that yeah. it's just ripped straight from the pages of Rod Sterling. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just fucking, yeah, it's real. But anyways, with that point aside, it has been a huge thing in, like, pop culture. And They're making, like, the third movie now, aren't they? Yeah. Something like that. I think it just came out, actually. Did it? Yeah, uh, Annabelle Comes Home or whatever. I'm not going to go see that. Now, the thing that you, you can't deny this is that whether you believe the story or not, it makes for a good tale. It makes for a good campfire story. And it's led to some of the bigger things. Now, to be fair, the guy who created Child's Play didn't credit this story with the idea. The Warrens, well, I guess not the Warrens, fans of the Warrens, have kind of pushed Child's Play into being, uh, I don't know, I guess, inspired by the events of Annabelle. And they denied that. The guy who wrote Child's Play said that uh, it was about just the abundance of Cabbage Patch Kids dolls, and he just thought about how funny it would be if they started killing people. So it's a little more funny than the reality. That's way better. That is honestly way better than the story of Annabelle. But this is one thing you're going to encounter a lot when you look into the Warrens and you hear about them is that they have some of the craziest fans, like the most loyal believers that will shred you to pieces if you say that they're lying. Yeah. And to their credit, also, I don't necessarily uh, follow their beliefs. They're very Catholic and devout. But they never uh, actually like got into fights with any like deb- uh, people that tried to debunk them or call them liars. I mean, that happened all the time. And they usually kept a pretty level head about the whole thing. Uh, I'll get they would into just kind of use like God's protection as a scapegoat as to why like certain things didn't happen to them. Oh yeah, like, I think there's more reasons yeah. to that later that I'll bring up after we get into some of the more interesting, intense shit. Oh yes. But yeah, so that was Annabelle. Nothing really too big. And then I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one. I'll just kind of throw a little information out there. In 1971, uh, they were in Harrisville, Rhode Island. With the Perrin family? Yeah, and this is the family that uh, inspired The Conjuring, the original. And uh, just just a few things. The story, the fa- the Perrin family maintains that the story is pretty accurate. Mm. And uh, a few of the members of the family actually consulted on the film uh, to get facts and things of that nature. Uh, the only thing that didn't happen was the exorcism. And... I've been saying this for years when we watch movies. I'm sure Jake and Mitch get pissed at me when we see exorcism movies. And there's always the one guy that tries to save the day by performing the exorcism, you know. He jumps in. It's usually Ed Warren. He's like, I'm going to save this poor soul. Yeah. That's not how exorcisms work. And also, they're devout Catholics. So the only way to perform an exorcism is to get direct permission from the bishop. And yeah, in more like high-profile cases, when the church wants to get involved, it goes to Vatican City, and they do re- they do their own field research and try to see if it's necessary. So in any film, even the Demon House with Zach Bagans, where they just go to that church and Gary and that guy gives him an exorcism, yeah, that is not legal or uh, it's not anything acceptable under the Catholic Church that's, like, not allowed. Yeah, you could do it, but, yeah, under the rules of the Catholic Church, you're saying. Which they are supposedly devout, which they would have to follow the rules if that was true. Yeah, it's like, they're not, like, rogue Catholics or whatever. To their credit, well, to not their credit, to Lorraine's credit, 
she actually brings that up because she uh, consulted on The Conjuring and actually had a small cameo appearance. Yeah, yeah, she was like in the background. And uh, they asked her about it on some interview program, and she said uh, it was pretty realistic as far as the things that happened, the visuals and things of that nature. But she said that Ed would never be crazy enough to perform an exorcism because he wasn't a priest, and they both knew that not only was that dangerous to what they believed, that it was very against the rules. So she just knew it was good for the the film to make yeah. money. But to be fair, I, she didn't get to write the script, so I mean, well, no, I you got to add in the climax. She was there just a consultant, end. yeah. But yeah, but so like... that the case itself is pretty cut and dry. Uh, funny enough, the reality people have done research into this after the film came out. Uh, there was never any evidence of ritual sacrifice on children or de- demonic possessions or studies in that house. Uh, there was never a witch that lived there, and no one. There's never been a report of death on the property. So interesting. All the all things right. that the Warrens said led th- this house to being haunted were actually not true when so, researched. Yeah, what was the witch's name? Like Bathsheba Sherman. Yeah. She didn't curse the land. In, None in of fact, that existed. no. None all of right. that existed. That makes sense. All right. But you know what? Do you you gotta. You gotta <laughs> I mean, what are you gonna do, man? You know. And this was still kind of early in their career. This was seventy-one. Yeah. This was before their big break, so to say, you know? Mm-hmm. This was before things kind of went off the charts. Because then the next high-profile case that they had was Amityville. 1976. Yeah, 1976. Uh, wow, was this a whopper of a fucking case. I mean, this was... Whether you believe it or not, it was one of the biggest cases that ever hit the country. Yeah, yeah. And, um... There's a few reasons for that. If you ask me personally, I think one of the biggest reasons, and I, th- th- in this episode you may think that I'm a skeptic. I'm really not a skeptical person when it comes to ghosts, but you do have to kind of take into account facts and things that occur within the time period. Yeah. And 1976, the two biggest horror movies had come out within 10 years. And that was Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist. So the idea of demons and the devil infiltrating your, you know, suburban home and disrupting your family, that was, like, a huge fear for people. Yeah. This was huge. This was still back in the day where, like, the idea of, like, oh, the satanic panic, like, shit like that was a problem. So all of this kind of combined into a haunted house could very easily turn into the devil lives there and the news would run with it because that's what they wanted yeah and i mean like amityville was a perfect like setup for that right i mean we were talking about this earlier like the the murder that actually started the whole like lore of the amityville like horror it uh it's actually kind of more interesting than the case no it really it really is you know what if people get murdered in a house you just need to burn that place to the ground you're not wrong. Put a public park there or something. They don't build anything else <laughs> just a public on that park property. Haunted on the slide. I'll tell you what, yeah. yeah I, I'm many things, and I would not want to live in a house where someone was murdered. Yeah, no one no one wants to. Especially like that. Like, th- we'll, well, here, why don't we we'll get into yeah, we'll, the we'll go crime, through it. and then we can discuss why no one would want to live there ever again. I think that's important. But yeah, so fucking, uh, what was it? Ronald, uh, Ronald DeFeo Jr., He's the guy. He's the man. The fucking murderer. The marksman. So this guy, uh, it was about 6.30 p.m. on uh, November 13th, 1974, right? And uh, he goes to Henry's bar, and he's just hanging out. 
and he runs in the door, and he's screaming, and he's like, you got to help me, you got to help me. I think my mom and dad got shot. So uh, a couple people that were in the bar and uh, DeFeo, they start going back to the house. They they uh, they all pile into this car, right? They all get into his car. Wasn't it like they're, at the end of the block, though? They, yeah, they're they could have just ran a block there. And a half away. <laughs> so they pile into this guy's car and drive to the house, right? And uh, fucking the, the entire family's dead. Uh, Ronald DeFeo Sr. and Luis DeFeo, the mom and dad, they're both dead in their bed, shot in the back, laying on their stomachs. Yep. Uh, then you go into the siblings. You got Dawn, who was 18, and Allison, who was 13, Mark, who was 12, and John Matthew, who was 9. All of them shot in their beds, face down, laying on their stomachs. Yep, yep. And what's super, super, super interesting about the murder, just because of the crime side, uh, they were shot with a thirty-five caliber lever-action Marlin three thirty-six rifle. Which is loud. Yeah. That is a very loud gun. They were shot around 3 o'clock in the morning of that day, November 13th. Yeah. So, and what's interesting is when you talk to... I don't know what you'd call them, people that are into guns and no guns, this weapon is so loud that essentially, like, okay, I live in a subdivision, right? If I were to shoot this in my house, the neighbor, every neighbor around me would hear me, and the neighbors next to them would hear the shot as well. The whole block would be woken up, and other people, if they were awake on the surrounding blocks, would be like, what the hell was that? So this already began to raise questions early on, of how exactly did six people all in this house get murdered with this weapon and not one of them woke up? Yeah, not one there of was them. no like sign of disturbance. There was no trail of blood. It was They got shot in their beds while they were on their stomachs. Yeah, so that, that leads to a few things. Now, if you talk to DeFeo himself at the time of the shot, Ronnie, or Butch as he liked to be called, um... Pretty much what this guy said was that uh, he was visited by a black mass with red eyes that gave him the gun and said, you need to kill your family. That's what he said. Now, this don't forget, give or take some time. I mean, this guy did just murder six people that lived in his fucking house, yeah. his parents and his four siblings. He could have so, been like a stoned hippie with a garbage bag or his clothes yeah, or something. Yeah, he also didn't mention, or, well, I did mention, not you, sorry. He was a very habitual user of heroin and LSD, and he suffered from antisocial personality disorder. Mm, mm, yeah. Well. So, multiple signs that would indicate uh, essentially crazy sporadic behavior can be boiled down into this, a drug abuser that already showed symptoms of you know mental illness. So, this guy had some crazy issues, right? Uh November 21st of 1975, he was found guilty on all six counts of murder. Uh, They sentenced him to six concurrent sentences of 25 years to life. And Butch DeFeo, or Ronald DeFeo Jr., is still alive today, serving his time in prison. And he's fucking, he's going to be there forever. Let's just say that. He's there forever. Yeah, he's probably uh, not going to go. So then this opens the door to the Lutz family. Right, this they're they're welcomed in. Uh, so he, uh, Ronald DeFeo was convicted in November of '75. In December of '75, George and Kathy Lutz and their three kids move in. Yeah, didn't they? Uh, didn't they get it because it was like particularly cheap? Oh, it was dirt cheap. Yeah, just for for some reason. I don't know why. Because it reverted back to the bank because the only person left 
that would have inherited the house was Ronald DeFeo Jr., no, who was in, in the, prison in and pen, could yeah. have no assets like that. So essentially it was just a large estate sale. And the Lutzes were lucky enough to just swoop in and buy this fucking really nice house. And they lived there, right? Yep, yep. So Months later. What they did is they stayed there for 28 days. That's it. They made it 28 days later. Good movie. Good time period to stay in a haunted house. It is, it is a very good movie. So they're there, right? They're hanging out. And uh, all the furniture that was in the house previous that uh, the DeFeos owned. It was still there. Yeah, they they paid, the Lutz paid an extra $400, and all of the furniture came with the house. Does that include the beds? Do they still ha- Did they get the bullets out? I don't know. I really, least, really hope so. I feel like they would still, let's yeah. hope it wasn't the beds, I guess. Maybe just the frame. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, yeah go so on. they started noticing some weird shit, right? Um, they, I don't know, they were in this house. Uh, George, he he knew a priest, right? He knew a friend, and they were having some issues. He was not sleepwalking, but almost in a trance-like state, walking around the house, like, room to room, in the supposed way that, you know, uh, Ronald did with the gun. Yeah. And then... Um, it even got to a point where he was, he had a rifle and he was walking through the house with the rifle like in his hand, and that started to worry the family a little bit because uh, why is dad? Oh, it's nothing to worry about. It's nothing to worry. He's protecting you. Don't worry. Yeah. So uh, he calls the priest. Uh, he comes over, and essentially he just started praying, and the priest was getting weirded out. Right. And uh, so he, he st- what? this guy's praying. He's getting, he's getting freaked out. By no, no, the, the priest was praying, and then he began to freak oh, out. All right, all okay, right. that makes same sense. Guy. Oh, yeah, we were on the same way. And there. so this yeah. guy, uh, Father Mancuso, Mancuso, he, he started sprinkling holy water when he heard a deep booming voice say "Get out," and he was burned, and he had blisters all over his face as he ran from the house. Um, Ew. Uh, yeah, gross. Whatever, hey, gross so, priest. Later that week, uh, Father Mancuso allegedly developed a very high fever, and uh, his hands were covered in blisters as well, and he believed it to be stigmata, where, you know, you have the miraculous Jesus hands and feet combo. Ooh. So that's what he thought. Lucky him. And um, I have a list of experiences that the Lutz family went through here. Some insane, some not so much. These are some of the things, so we're just going to jump right in and kind of dive into this right yeah the warrens are coming soon so george the dad he would wake up at around three fifteen every morning this to there this is a big warren thing here three o'clock three fifteen uh three o'clock is typically the witching hour you know yeah. where the the veil between reality and the undead is the most thin and uh the way they view the number three is like sacrilege in a sense where the demons are mocking the Holy Trinity by appearing at 3 a.m., you know, Father, Mm. Son, Holy Spirit, the sign of the cross, all that shit. So George would wake up about 3.15 every morning, morning, and he would go out to the boathouse. And uh, later he figured out that this was around the estimated time that Ronald killed the family. Hmm. Spooky. Coincidence. Maybe he can't sleep. Maybe his wife sucks. Who knows? Um, the house was plagued by swarms of flies in the dead of winter. Interesting. Makes for a good movie. Good story. Sounds like a leak in the basement, maybe. But... Yeah. 
uh, Kathy, she would have extremely vivid nightmares about uh, the murders. And she actually, given Kathy credit in this, uh, she had dreamed that she was the one murdering the DeFeo family. And I guess there's really no way of knowing if she knew the order of deaths. But in her dream, she had it down to a science. She had it right. Hmm. Which was interesting enough. I'll give her that. Feels like a first-person shooter sort of thing. Uh huh. That's pretty cool. And then uh, the Lutz family children actually were reported all sleeping on their stomachs, hmm. and that was just a little weird because the mom was like, "That didn't usually happen," and you know this house, blah blah blah, spook, spooky shit. Uh, Kathy would often feel a sensation of being embraced in a sometimes loving manner by unseen forces. She's getting turned on by a ghost. You never know. Maybe. It could happen. Yeah, Who knows? Spectrophilia stuff? Is that spet- spectrophilia? Spectra? Spectrum? Spe- Specter? Spectra- spectrophilia? How do you say that, Grant? Spectrophilia. Spectra yeah. or er? Spectrophilia. Ro? Spectrophilia. Yeah. It's right. S-P-E-C-T-R-O-philia. Yeah, if, if wow. the audience doesn't know what <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. If the, if the audience doesn't know what that Y-M-C-A? term means, it means you're having sex with a ghost. Yeah, spectrophilia is the phenomenon of a ghost. Well, typically it's a ghost having sex with you. Oh. Yeah, and I mean, I guess it you happens could, yeah. more times than not. Hmm. <laughs> Wait, what? It's a very common response. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll just keep going, I guess. So, George. Uh, George discovered a small room in the house uh, behind the shelving in the basement, right? All the walls were painted red, and the room actually did not appear in blueprints of the house. Hey, that sounds like uh, the Haunting of Hill House. Haunting of Hill House or Insidious. Why, was there a red room in Insidious? Yeah, Yeah, well, Well, there was a red door. The red door was like the big thing. Okay, so is, is this like... Does this story, has that, like, influenced all these movies? You never know. Well, the guy who directed and wrote Insidious also wrote and directed The Conjuring. So he probably had a base knowledge of a lot of this shit. Kind of a similar thing in the cask of Amontillado, right? I don't know. Fuck, that's so long ago. That's, like, old as hell. That's Poe, yeah. Yeah. That's a good one, though. I don't know if it was, like, the... Connection. Where he, like, buried the guy was, like, red? I don't know if it was red. It's just, like, something that, uh, you know... No one knew about. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just I'm just throwing stuff at the wall. Yeah. But anyway, go ahead. So this yeah. red room, uh, the dog, his name was Harry, cute dog. Uh, he refused to go near it, and he would bark and freak out uh, almost as if something were in there whenever he'd go by this room. Uh, there were cold spots and odors of either very lovely perfume or excrement all around the house. <laughs> And nice. there's never really any wind drafts or like uh, piping problems that could like explain. Are we that. sure? Are we sure George wasn't just blowing it up every day and spraying his wife's <laughs> fucking perfume to get rid of it? Yeah, really. Because it's it's like one extreme to the other. Either it smells like fucking rancid shit, or it's like the prettiest, you know, nice smelling perfume. Yeah, I'm thinking it was a a, a mixture of the two. I yeah, th- it I never think... randomly smelt like fast food or something, you know, like he's sneaking some burgers. I Not think George's really colon was haunted, dude. I don't know. <laughs> then there was the night where George and Kathy saw the image of a demon with half of its head blown out because it was fire. And uh, it was what, burned... Because it was fire? Well, it was like burned into the soot. And it made uh, that uh, impression on the back of okay. the fireplace. Oh, no, yeah, I understand. Um, Mitchell, this one's funny for us. 
the Lutz's five-year-old daughter, Missy, developed an imaginary friend named Jody that was a demonic pig-like creature with glowing red eyes. <laughs> That's what I love. Similar to Murgatroyd. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys haven't seen it, uh, IFC, uh, they have a show called Stain Against Evil. It's fucking impeccable. Yeah, it's kind of like Ash vs. the Evil Dead. But it's just like way even, more insane. Even campier and like yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. Murgatroyd makes an appearance. So I think that's season two. I don't know. No, it's season one. Season one. Evans to Murgatroyd. A giant pig named Jody. Um, this one's a little spooky. Uh, on Christmas morning, uh, George was outside uh, at the boathouse like he usually was. That fucking sick weirdo. Anyways. Um, one more thing. They have a fucking boathouse. Can you imagine how like nice this house must be for what they paid for it? Yeah, no, it's it true. must be enormous. Uh, and George actually saw Jody standing behind his daughter Missy through the bedroom window. The pig? She, she yeah. was like, "I just saw a pig behind and you." <laughs> he sprinted upstairs, and she was passed out. And uh, the rocking chair was going back and forth. <laughs> it smelled of excrement. No, the, no, <laughs> believe it or not, the pig was the perfume. Really? No, I have no idea. <laughs> I just made that up. Either way, man. Um, then this one is just kind of like stupid, if you ask me. Uh, George actually started looking into the DeFeo murders, and he realized that he looked very similar to Ronald DeFeo. He kind of does in the bone structure. He does a little bit. And, uh, he actually began drinking at a bar called the (coughs) Witch's Brew, and that was, uh, one of Ronald Jr.'s regular hangouts, uh, when he was a little bit younger. Interesting. Interesting enough. While in bed one night, uh, Kathy received a bunch of red welts all across her chest and uh, was supposedly levitated into the air about two or three feet. Wow. All right. I think it's probably bed bugs and euphoric. Wait, did people... Euphoric see, bed bug bites. Did people see her levitating? No, but... How <laughs> <laughs> no. the fuck do no, they know? No, 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 no. How many times I felt like I've, like, fallen? Oh, yeah, like, that happens all bed, the time. You know, it was probably like, one of those dreams with bed bugs. Yeah. But either way. Yeah. So then, um... Pretty much what would happen here is... After this, it was your typical poltergeist activity. They said uh, doors, cabinets, and locks were ripped from their hinges and thrown across the house. Um, There was a green gelatin-like slime or ooze that came out of the walls. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. It's it's just, I just am thinking of Spongebob now. Yeah, no, a little bit. The walls will ooze green slime. And then you had a typical movie cliche here. They had a crucifix uh, hung in the living room trying to ward off some of this evil. Yeah. And Kathy watched it turn upside down, and it smelled like shit. Isn't that like the sign of like St. Peter or something because he was crucified like that? Because he didn't think he was worthy of being crucified like Jesus? It wasn't even satanic until like way later. I mean, you're using rational thought here, Jake, so this is already a problem. You're right. Yeah. You know what? You're right. This is bad news. There's a ghost here. And um, so pretty much they decided that something was wrong with this house, right? And uh, George and Kathy were holding onto a crucifix in their living room, reciting a prayer. And George said he heard a chorus of voices screaming in the other room, Will you stop? And after this, they fled the house. They took none of their belongings. They just fucking dipped. They were gone. They ran. Boom. In come Ed and Lorraine Warren. Here we go. They're right down the street. They're in the area. They were waiting at the bar. 
Ed and Lorraine come in, right? So they listen to all this. Oh, I missed the best part. I'm sorry. Actually, one of the things that drove them out was they saw a manifestation of a red head. And it was yelling at them to get out of the house. Like a red head? Like a... No, no, like a man that was red. Like a head that was red. Of a man. Yeah, or a demon. A red and head. And in the snow, in the fresh snow of the front yard, there were hoof, print, hoof prints. It was probably from uh, Jody, the, 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 the pig. The pig monster. Yeah. But yeah, so the Warrens get here, right? And now, I don't know, they get a lot of credit for this. They stayed overnight in the house once. And to be fair, they took a shit ton of pictures and videos. They got a lot of lot of information they on this They did their case. documentation, yeah. This was a big case, and... Um, believe it or not, they actually might have captured a photo of like a small boy mm-hmm. with glowing. It looks like greenish yellow eyes. Uh, it, it's a very hard picture to decipher. It, I mean, it probably could be easily faked, but at the end of the day, you take their word for it that it, it's something. Now they gathered a lot of evidence on this house. They really did, and um. I mean, media outlets were there. People were there. Everyone. It was all over the TV. It was mm-hmm. it was national news. And with this, the Warrens made the best decision that they've ever could have made in their career. And what they did is that they refused any money from the Lutz or the neighbors. And the only thing that they took was a large percentage of the story rights to Amityville. Yeah, didn't you say around 50%? Along with all of the merchandising and sales that come in the future, anything attached to the Amityville story, the Warrens get a cut of the piece of the pie. Yeah. They don't get the whole pie, but they get a piece of it. Yeah. So that was a, a big... Lo- a sizable portion of it. That's going to yeah. suck. And from Amityville, like uh, there was a lot of books and movies that came from it. There was, there was one that was called... Uh, uh, what was it called? The Amityville Horror. It was from 77. It was like the year following. And then the movies uh, from uh, 79 and 2005. There was also a series. And it it's also portrayed at the beginning of The Conjuring 2. Like a little like synopsis of it, you know? And yeah. Yeah. It was... It was big after that, so they made a pretty pretty nice hunk of change. Oh, yeah. And I, there's two things here that I want to bring up. There are a few claims, right, that the house was built on an Indian burial ground. What does that sound like? It, what? Yeah, what does it sound like? I don't know. But they claimed that the Warrens claimed that uh, the Shinnecock in- Indian Nation from Long Island, that they were buried in the area. Now, uh, research has discovered that they were never near that area. And all the Native American leaders in that area in the present time, at you know, back in the 70s, all said that, no, there was never reservation land in Amityville or around Amityville. Boom. Problem number one. Problem number two. Which one do you want first? Now you know what? Fuck you. I'm going with the demon first. All right, go ahead with the demon. The red, the redhead. Yeah, they said that uh, on January first of 1970. Let me find this year. 76. That was the day that that happened, where they found the footprints. Yeah. Uh, If you study meteorological records, Amityville had no snow that week at all. (laughs) There was no snow on the ground. What a stupid lie! They could just easily check that. And then um, when the next family bought the house. what is I can't I saw their name earlier. It's I'm not gonna just say it. I want to say it's like that. Ah, fuck it. I don't care. 
the next family that bought the house, right? They read. I mean, obviously, they read all this stuff. They heard all about it. So, rightfully so, they were very smart to be worried that uh, they heard all the fucking doors and cabinets were ripped off their hinges. Yeah. So when they moved in, they hired a guy to come look at it. Every door and cabinet door in that house had the original hinge from the 60s. They were never ripped from the walls, and nothing had ever changed. They were never repaired. They were the original hinges. Hmm. Well, I mean, it was in the 60s that it happened, though, right? No, oh, wait, no it was the 70s. 70s. It was a 76. Well, still, it's so like, it's like that... 10 years on a hinge. If mine aren't lasting that long, what the hell? Yeah, but they weren't. That's the thing. The in Amityville during the hauntings. Yeah, they said the doors and shit were ripped off the hinges. Oh, and then later oh, in I'm the totally late seventies, early eighties, when right. they looked at it, they were the original hinges no, that yeah, the house right. was built with. All right, so that's very interesting. I was I was thinking about it in a whole different way. Like they were yeah. like wearing down or something. Okay. No, these are all. So all three. The three. I'm on big your. Claims, I'm on your wave. Like now. The Indian burial ground. Uh, the hooves in the snow. And the doors being ripped off hinges are all actually proven to be false. Interesting. And then, when you look at the overall history of the case, um, the DeFeos and the Lutz, there's a lot of shrouded shit there, right? Mm -hmm. DeFeo, drug addiction, mental illness. Not necessarily a very trustworthy source. They go back to him a lot to try and get information on the haunting, and, I mean, he doesn't really offer a whole lot because they never had any problems with the supernatural. Then you get into the Lutz, right? And, now, I, I will give it this. A lot of uh, websites, Snopes included, fucking Snopes. Snopes, They no. said that no. the Lutzes uh, worked with their lawyer to fabricate this whole story over a bottle of wine. That actually is not true. I will, I will give them that. I'm skeptical about the story. That part of it isn't true. Because the Lutzes actually received little to no money from Amityville, they had no, re- they had nothing to gain from it. Well, if they came up with it over bottles of wine, maybe it was just a drunken idea. Like, wait, we're the people. Why, why don't we get a cut of it? It's like you yeah. know the rights to the, your own story, bro. Yeah, it's you a, should. Yeah, you should never trust Snopes, though. That's my. Well, no, thing. and th- that's always, why I wanted, always do your own research. That's why I wanted to bring that up because I mean I'm here debunking a lot of the shit. But that part specifically is not incorrect. Or it, it is incorrect, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's just they use that to kind of try to throw shade at these fucking people. Yeah, yeah, I mean. But, um. Rightfully so in a certain sense, but that's that part particular thing is not true. The Lutzes themselves, um. The reason it's hard to believe them is because the story changes so much. Uh, I mean, the original story was big and powerful and across the world. Then by the time the book came out, it almost got a little too big to handle. And people were picking out details and asking them questions that they just simply could not replicate yeah. the answers to. It's like it's kind of like they hit the paranormal jackpot yeah, from, what you, from what you made it sound like. All these crazy different things happening to them. And it's like, it's like that's impossible. Right. It's like, all oh, your typical I, I see Bigfoot and a ghost and whatever sex. else in the same day. David Huggins was there. and Yeah. Yeah, yeah Amityville, is, that was their case. That was what projected them into the limelight. Yeah. Because, like I said, it was huge. Then uh, all the rights and shit. Then the movies. Wasn't that, uh, who was in the Amityville horror, the movie, the, the original? I can't even fucking think of it. I'm looking it up right now. Because I'm it. pissed. Do it. 
I want to say, uh, I've never, no, I have seen the original, but it wasn't very great. You know, I definitely, from what you're making it sound like, Grant, it sounds like there's a lot of uh, fishiness to this story. Yeah, it's yeah, it, it, James Brolin. That's who it was. He was oh. the dad. But, uh, no, it is. It's it's shrouded in a lot of shit that makes you almost kind of want to push away from it because mm-hmm. it's just kind of outlandish in a sense, you know? And I'm not saying that everything has been fabricated because there could very well be things in the story that are real or have, you know, legitimate side effects to what the family saw. Yeah, of course. But, but a lot of it is it's fucked because money gets involved and then fame gets involved and notoriety. And it's one of the biggest fucking ghost stories that's hit the world since fucking Alcatraz being yeah. haunted. You know, like people kind of gloss over that, but it's huge. And I don't know. My personal thought on Amityville, maybe some, I'm sure some weird shit happened, let's face it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. six people get murdered in a fucking house, obviously some weird shit's going down, right? Yeah. But, come on. Come on. Come on. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't know. The original murder is still more, far more interesting than like all the stuff that we've found to be uh, debunkable. No, you know definitely. I mean? The true crime behind like, Ronald DeFeo yeah, is very interesting. It's, it's far, far more, more interesting, interesting than the Warren's involvement in the case. Yeah. Yep. Anyways, this moves us into a better and more interesting tale. This is uh, what year we're going to travel to now. We're it's uh, 1977. Oh, we're barely jumping a year. Yeah, okay. for the uh, Einfield Poltergeist. It was, uh, Fuck it, yeah. yeah dude, it's largely dismissed as a, host, a hoax. It's not. I don't care what it's, anyone says. I don't says. think it is, personally, but... The Warrens do some fishy shit with it. But so, um, yeah, I mean, the um, original... Wit- yeah, here, wait, hang on just one second. We're going to London. It's like North London and Enfield. It's uh, It happened from 77 to 79. And, uh, all right, so basically there's this, uh, there's this woman named Peggy Harper. She's a divorced mother of four children. Uh, their ages between like seven and thirteen, uh-huh. and um, single mom by the way. Single mom, single mom, and give uh, her some single mom love, cause damn, fucking being poor in London in the seventies with four kids is a pain in the ass. Then you got a ghost in the mix. Yeah, yeah, it sucks. It really sucks. The uh, <laughs> the main like person that was uh, affected by it was her uh, her daughter Janet Hodgson, and Janet. she yep Janet. And she uh, she was 11. She was, like, the center of the events. And uh, it sort of her sister Margaret, who was 13 at the same time, too. But um, she started getting, like, thrown from her bed and hearing strange, like, noises and bangs in the hallways and things. And she would kind of wake up in different, like, parts of the house and that she couldn't remember, like, getting there or anything. But uh, so, like, this this was going on and on for, like, a couple days, a couple days, like, a couple weeks. It kept going on. And it kept starting to get like worse. So eventually, uh, she like like some furniture actually moved in front of the mother herself and Janet. Like furniture was moving across the room, and like just things were flying out right in front of like multiple people seeing it. They called the cops. They ended up calling the cops because like why wouldn't you? You know like what else do I do here? You know? Yeah. Am I right? So yeah, so she called the cops, and the cops actually uh, suggested to her that she go to the media. 
Yeah. Because she, mean, they felt you, that she could get the most help there. Right. When you look at it, that does help because, I mean, yeah, you're going to get a lot of crackpots that are going to reach out to you. But you might get a few genuine people that are like, hey, you know, even if it's something as simple as I've had a similar experience, let me tell you what we did. Or you might even get lucky and get the fucking Warrens. Yeah. Well, that's not really the entire story, but that's the way that it's it's portrayed on the Warren end of things here. You no, know? yeah, it is true. But, uh, yeah, dude, it's weird. It was really weird. So, apparently, like, the Warrens get involved. They, uh, they're eventually, like, uh... Oh, oh, oh hold on. Here, I yeah. do want to say, the Warrens are involved, right? They show up Yeah, a I was year. getting to how they show up. Yeah, yeah they it's... show up a year later. There is already a guy that was essentially living in that house, researching this every day, and taking photos, and taking videos, and reaching out. And that dude had been there for a year... Enter the Warrens. Yeah, enter the Warrens. And there, there was also this guy, um, his name is actually Guy. Guy Lion hey. Playfair. He was uh, he was one of the, the chief investigators for the Society of uh, Psychical like Research. And he was already dispatched there. He had been there. He was like the head, uh, the chief investigator. And he actually did this interview uh, with um, the co-host of Darkness Radio. It's like uh, Dave Schrader. And there's actually this interview where he kind of gives his thoughts on Ed Warren's like first his first impression of like the couple basically after they showed up uninvited unannounced they weren't even allowed admittance to the house but all right so let's go into this uh, little little uh, exchange of words here uh, this is Guy Lyon Playfair's impression uh, on the Warrens it's, they they did turn up once I think at Einfield. And all I could remember is Ed Warren telling me that he could make a lot of money out of it for me. So I thought, well, that's all I need uh, to know from you. So I got myself out of there, uh, you know, the way as soon as I could. I said I was not impressed. He did not spend, I don't know, uh, more than a moment there. And I did read somewhere in a transcript of lengthy interviews, which he's alleged to have with one of the girls which they cannot remember giving to him, uh, which they couldn't, uh, which they described all sorts of marvelous wonders, which I don't think happened. Uh, I think he was a complete, um, then he laughs and says, fill in whatever word. So uh, this guy obviously uh, did not take a liking to them. Not oh, at yeah. all, the Warrens. Well, you got to think about it. this guy, guy, he is a legitimate person trying to investigate things and try to get to the bottom. And they come in, and it's very simple that on day one, they're looking at this through a monetary lens of this will benefit our business. Yeah. This is now an international case. This will benefit us, and it could potentially make us some money along the way if we find anything good here. And this guy, guy, is fucking pissed because it's kind of discrediting all the things he's been doing. Yeah, he's he's utterly pissed, dude. And, like, it, it goes uh, farther to say, even in the interview, um, he goes on to say, well, like, uh, the interviewer, like on uh, Dave, he said, have you heard or in your research, have you come across any proof that Ed or Lorraine Warren had anything to do with consulting or being a part of this investigation? Guy responds, certainly not. Nobody ever mentioned them. I mean, I don't think anybody in the family had ever heard of him until he turned up, uninvited, and, yeah. 
And I believe, doesn't this guy also have the wonderful quote that comes later? The one that, I, I don't know, I don't quote me on this if it's him or not, but it's something along the lines oh, I of, uh, you, I believe, we, we talked about it earlier, I saw this earlier in the week, and it really made me chuckle because I've been saying this quote all week. Yeah, okay. <laughs> according to, uh, I think this is the right one that you're talking about. According to Ray uh, Garten. Who wrote the account of? Uh... Oh no no sorry oh, wait, no that's that's, that's, a, that's a complete different. I'll come back to the, yeah that's uh, a di- is, that's yeah. a different thing. But it is Never on the Warrens. It is kind of funny. But no, it's not the same guy. But that is an interesting bit of that interview, right? Like it's just like they nobody even had, even ever heard of them. Right. Nobody knew who they were. They're in fucking London trying to conduct research, and here come the Warrens. Bim bam boom. They're taking over. They're doing all this shit. They're claiming it, and I think. See, now, what's very interesting about Einfield is that you get... This is probably some of the most scientifically researched ghost phenomena in the world, I'd say. Yeah, there's probably some of the because most information on this one is, of all of them. It is the most documented haunting ever in the sense that they have video recordings and photos and interviews. And Janet, there's extensive interviews where Janet goes on and talks in a guttural, essentially demonic voice... For minutes, like I mean, and when I say minutes, that might not sound like a lot, but keep in to keep in mind that this girl is eleven years old and she sounds like a child. I mean, you hear her speak, and she's just like, "Hey, you know, how you doing? My name's Janet," and then you get this fucking <sighs> for fucking five minutes at a time. Yeah, that it takes some. A, a lot of people point to the idea that she was more of the artistic child. And might have even had some skill in like ventriloquism, thus giving her the ability to do this and fool everybody. But the reality of that is, uh, even the most trained ventriloquists typically can't keep doing that voice without a break or cutting into their normal voice for more than a few minutes because it, I mean, it's not normal to talk like that, you know? And for a child to be able to do this in such like a crazy fucking way is insane it really is and you could watch these interviews online where she has these voices and it's fucking insane yeah she claims to be like an old man named uh, bill hickens who like died in the chair downstairs in that very house like a few years before because he uh, what did he go blind and then he had an aneurysm yeah mm. something like that yeah. didn't didn't her vocal cords get fucked from that no no they, i mean they oh, did no. for a little bit but not like not to, not the, to extent the point that where you, it would be an actual would. her doing it yeah it's uh yeah. Now, yeah. there's a few... Now, I'll tell you this. I I personally believe in the Einfield poltergeist. I do. And there are a few things specifically that the Warrens have evidence on that make people believe it isn't true in a whole different yeah. light. Because the Warrens... Ed actually has a video of one of the dressers in Janet's room being flipped from like a, a regular position to on its side yeah. immediately. Mm-hmm. And if you watch the footage, um, you can see footsteps and a shadow behind the drawer. So that immediately discredits the entire, you know, two-year-long event yeah. with then one for the snippet people, of video. For the hardcore people, like, for the Warrens, be like, well, that's the ghost. Exactly. That's the ghost. It's a, well, and, no. Uh, well, I, I guess <laughs> what, another important thing to discuss here is I brought this up earlier, how they're religious, right? They're Catholics. They're very devout. Yeah. They did not, they weren't ghost hunters. They were demon hunters. 
It's a very different demonologist. Thing. So yeah. all of the, every case that they were involved in was demonic. There was never a ghost or a spirit. It was a non-living spirit that never lived on the planet and was just this evil demonic entity. So even in this yeah. case, that's what they, they said. They would just kind of like warp the information to fit that so they could actually be involved and still stick to their like uh, their guns, you know? And I brought this up before on the ghost episode we did, actually, when I talked about Einfield very briefly. And um, essentially, something very interesting about this is that all of this activity ended not because of the Warrens, but it ended the day after Janet had her first period. Yeah. And that might be a little graphic, you know, I don't know, what do you want from me? It's just honest. So she was she hit puberty that day. It was the mile marker of her becoming a, a woman, in yeah. a sense. And the voices stopped, all the activity stopped, all the weird visions and, like, sleepwalking, if you want to call it that, sleep teleporting. Yeah, yeah. All of that ended. Seemingly teleported. The day she had her period. So that also gives people that look at this through a skeptic lens immediate access to say that it's bullshit because it was, you know, crazy hormones and weird things and she's never experienced this. And it was her way of, like, lashing out and getting attention in a poverty-stricken family in London where she's, like, one of the youngest. Yeah. I don't buy that. Yeah. I buy the fact that it ended when she hit puberty. I mean, that's just... That's real. That's what happened. Yeah. But I don't buy that it was all an act for two years. I don't. I personally don't. I don't think so either. Two years straight? Are you joking? Look up the videos. It's some of the craziest shit I've ever seen. Yeah. The actual evidence from them, not from the Warrens. Bring it back to the Warrens, actually. Uh... Yeah, like I think I mentioned earlier, like the original witnesses said that they don't even remember talking to Ed. Right. Yeah, and like um, it was actually uh, some head investigators from the uh, Society of Paranormal uh, Research, which they opened their own like New England like uh, branch of this very like group. So uh, a head investigator actually claimed that the Warrens manufactured marvelous uh, wonders to make money off of their brief and uninvited house call. Yep. And that's exactly what they did. And if you watch The Conjuring 2, which I will admit was much better than the No, first, yeah, we watched it last night. That was awesome. It, I it, dug it a lot. It paints a very, very different picture of the Warrens' involvement in the case where very they much didn't so. do it's, anything. It, it literally shows them going into the house on Christmas and singing Elvis yeah. to the children, but they were denied at the door in reality. So now this takes us into a very particular case. Uh, it's popularized as uh, the Devil Made Me Do It case. Ooh. And what this is is that uh, it, it's uh, it actually got its name from a magazine and uh, magazine article on People in 1981. And so what happened here is that in 81 we had this guy right, uh, Arnie Cheyenne Johnson. And uh, he was arrested and tried for murdering his landlord, Alan Bono. And Bono. Essentially, he pled insanity in the way that no one has ever done it by saying that the devil possessed him and it was him that did it, not me. And this all goes back to the story of Johnson's fiance, Debbie Glatzel, had a little brother named David who was 11 at the time. And, um... David was visited by a, quote, man with big black eyes that, uh, you know, believe it or not, strike uh, sh- struck a crazy resemblance to Satan himself. 
All right, sounds good. And uh, David began showing signs of just weird behavior. He gained about 60 pounds. He started growling and hissing and spasming and speaking in strange voices. That's just puberty, dude. And uh, reciting biblical passages. Maybe not that part so far, but... Okay, so then what happened was, uh, instead of being intelligent people and, you know, looking for help through medicine, the Glatzels uh, brought in some priests, right? And then when the priests got there, they were like, we don't know what the fuck to do. We're calling Ed and Lorraine Warren. Mm-hmm. So Ed and Lorraine Warren show up, right? And uh, Ed Warren commented that the minute he walked into the house, he knew that there were 43 demons inside the little boy. 43? Yeah, 43. He saw them all and counted them immediately as he saw them. And um, that's just the case. And then Ed and Lorraine said that uh, the priest that was there with them and brought them in held an exorcism, believe it or not, where the priest said that that never happened. He never was involved in an exorcism. And uh, they said that David was feeling a lot better and he was improving. But what they forget to mention is that he began to feel better after they took him out of the house and put him in psychiatric care. And once he was in psychiatric care, he improved and totally was fine. Everything got better. And... um. Ed actually talks about this and said that uh, Arnie made a huge mistake and said that the demon should enter his body and leave David alone. And in typical exorcist fashion, that's exactly what the demon did. And uh, then he took his pocket knife and stabbed his landlord five times. And all this happened, and Ed and Lorraine were actually witnesses, and they testified at the trial and said that the devil was the one that possessed him and made him murder the landlord. Man, they're going to court over their, like, quick trigger finger to call it 43 demons? Yeah. That's nuts. And, um, essentially what had happened here, the Warrens were looking to make money off this case, just as they were in Einfield. And, I mean, the family got pissed. They were essentially taken advantage of. And after the fact, the family actually tried to sue uh, Lorraine Warren. Because they said essentially what had happened was that you came into the house and you told us that, you know, everything was fucked up and that you needed, we needed your help and then it didn't help. It, like, made it worse. Yeah. So that happened. Just so you guys know, that did occur. False advertising. That was a real thing and uh, it's fucked up, isn't it? What are you going to do about that? I don't know what we're going to do about that. Then we're going we're gonna to get into another one. That uh, I think is actually quite interesting, if you ask me. Uh, it was the basis of a movie called uh, The Haunting in Connecticut. Oh, yeah. Which, to their credit, Lorraine Warren detested that movie and said that they worked very hard on that case and suffered a lot for the information that they received. And essentially, she said that the movie sullied all of the work that they did and made them look like laughing stocks by making it a cheesy shit movie. Well, the the reason that that may have been kind of comes later with uh, with this uh, this guy, what's his name? Who Ray? Yeah, Ray, dude. This yeah. is the this is the quote. Well, hold on, no, no, let me let me get through. Well, he's first. the guy that said the quote. You yeah, know? no, I'll, I'll get to it. But I, I gotta... think I think that it it, it like it uh, later on attests to why oh, yeah. the the movie was so inaccurate to the Warrens and like, I'm gonna, accounts. I'm going to give you a quote that's going to show you why he oh, said that. Give me that. These going. quotes better be good. You're no, building this good. up. Yep. yep. Um, oh, they're going to be good. So smack in, you right in, in the 1986, uh, Alan and Carmen Snedker moved in with their daughter and three young sons. 
and uh, they were in Southington, Connecticut, mm. in a house. And um, they started freaking out. They started seeing ghosts. They learned that their home used to be a funeral parlor. Uh, both of the parents said that they were raped and sodomized by demons at night. Wow. And that one day, Carmen mopped the kitchen floor, and the water suddenly turned blood red and smelled of rotting flesh. So, uh, they contacted uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren, who arrived, and bingo, bingo, they said the house was infested with demons. Not just one, demons. Was it 43? They didn't have a specific number for this one? They didn't say. All right. And then what happens here is uh, they investigate. They say it's real. Blah, 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 blah. Fucking blah. Um, They make a point that, uh, you know, it really wasn't that intense because, uh, you know, if they were being sexually assaulted by demons, the only thing they really did was call ghost hunters in to see what the problem was. Yeah. So, uh, in 92... Uh, Ray Garten wrote the book In a Dark Place, the true sto- or the story of a true haunting. Yeah. And uh, he wrote this after Ed reached out to him with all the information of the family. And he said, I want you to write this book for us. Yeah, and he started doing interviews with the actual family, right? right? Yeah. So what Snedker did here is he went and... Inter- or not Snedker, what Garten did here mm-hmm. is he went and interviewed the Snedker family. And here's a quote from him. Ray Garten went back to Ed and said, quote, I found that the accounts of the individual Snedkers didn't quite mesh. They couldn't keep their stories straight. And then uh, he talks about how he went to Ed with this information. And this is what Ed said to him directly. Oh, well, they're crazy. And he laughed. Everybody that comes to us is crazy. You've got some of the story, though. Just use what works and make the rest up. Just make it up and make sure that it's scary. That's what you're paid to do. There you go. Yep. That was a direct quote from Ed Warren to Ray Garten about writing the book about the Snedker family who just suffered what they thought were horrible fucking things occurring by demons. And Ed essentially was, oh, well, they're fucking insane, but write this book so we can all make money. Yeah. And uh, one of the reasons why the family, did, the, their like stories didn't uh, kind of match up to Garten, uh, they were heavily uh, involved in the alcoholism and drug use. They liked uh, the beverage. They liked the beverage. They liked the smoke. They liked the substance. You know what I'm saying? Well, but, not uh, to be f- in in their defense. You know what, man? Like, if you're being raped by demons at night, you might turn to something like that. That's probably just heroin withdrawal. Okay, fair point. Are you joking? Fair like, point. Yeah, okay. Maybe it's not a coping mechanism. Maybe it's why it happened in the first place. Probably is. That's what I'm thinking. But, That's uh, very rational. But yeah, after that, after that quote that, uh, that Ed gave to... Uh, or, well, that Grant gave, that Ed said, to Garten. Uh, Garten also, uh, speaking on Lorraine Warren, he said, uh, this, is, this is the quote we were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If she told me the sun would come up tomorrow morning, I'd get a second opinion. Oh, yeah. shots you, fired! You it's stupid true. son of a bitch. But it, 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 I mean, look at so they already fucking told him that essentially what they do is bullshit, and, like, Make it up and be scary. That's what you're getting paid to do, you fucking idiot. Dude, that How first... How does that make you feel as a guy? Like, yeah, he's a he's an author, but he's trying to interview this family to get, like, the real story. And the guy that got paid to look into it was just like, nah, it's fucking real. Not Dude, real Ed probably idiots. stepped on one of those heroin noodles, was feeling... Uh, noodles. Needles was feeling noodly, you know? Yeah. After, he's probably pretty loose with his lips. So, 
Now, the one last case that I think we need to just get into, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because it's just fucking really stupid, right? Bill Ramsey. Bill Ramsey. So let me take you back uh, to 1952 when Bill Ramsey was nine years old. There was an icy blast of frigid air that swept over him while he was sitting outside. Uh, His sweat froze to his skin, and then he just started vomiting. And what he did was he started thinking about wolves. He started <laughs> thinking about wolves. Um, so he gets so, back in the house. Sorry. No, you're fine. He just started thinking about wolves after that happened. Um, he started <laughs> chewing on uh, fencing around the his home, just putting it in his mouth and chewing on it. Did he think he was a wolf, or was oh, he just on, thinking about wolves? Hold on. All right. Um. After the, some weird shit started going on, uh, 15 years passed and nothing happened. Uh, he'd grown up, he got married, and he was a father of three. Uh, the first two years of his marriage were just plagued by these horrible like night terrors. And uh, each one was the same, and he ended up uh, essentially killing people in his dream. I've done that. Um, in 1967, these dreams ended. He stopped having them. Uh, he woke up. About 18 months later, and uh, what he heard what he thought was the panting of a wild animal somewhere in the bedroom. But what it turned out to be was Bill. So Bill's hearing this weird scream. He's sounds like he's a fucking animal, right? And, uh, yeah, so uh, I guess it turns out that he was. And then by 1983, Bill was out with some of his pals at a local pub, right? You know, he's having a few drinks. He had these crazy icy chills back like uh, when he was a kid. And uh, he made an excuse to bail out and he went to the bathroom to take a piss. Uh, Once there, he looked in the mirror. What do you think he saw, guys? He saw a fucking werewolf looking back at him. I was going to say Dennis Rader. He saw a werewolf. Um, On the way home, they were in the car. Bill just began to growl and uh, he started turning on his fellow passengers. And his hands turned into claws, and he bit the leg of his friend. And then um, this sounds like Carlton's description of Salvia. Yeah, a little bit. And then uh, everything kind of leveled out after the designated driver didn't freak out at all. He was just like, "Yeah, Bill's back there being weird. That's all right." <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a regular drunk drive home. You're gonna hear noises. You gotta just keep getting home. So then, uh, 18 months passed. Right, it's Christmas. Uh, a little bit before Christmas of '83. And uh, he starts getting these, like, wicked chest pains, and he immediately thought he was going to have a heart attack. Sounds good. So he goes to the ER, and uh, they're doing a blood pressure test on him, and uh, he just sinks his teeth into the nurse, right into her arm, bites her forearm, just like... (laughs) (laughs) They find out he has, like, wolf's blood or something? And then he ran away through the hospital ward, uh, possessed. And uh, witnesses said that uh, he had hunched shoulders... And both of his hands curled into claws, and uh, he had lips that looked like that of a rabid animal. Lips, specific only lips specifically. Lips. They don't mention like the hairiness or anything like, it, like that. No, he like saw himself as that. Mm-hmm. People saw him as like just a dude acting like a werewolf, right? Something like that. Oh no 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 no! Well, that's what that's not what they say. They say it was a real Who's werewolf. They? They said that he had claws, that his hand turned he, into they claws. They said they were curled like claws. I no, thought. no, they they curled into claws. 
into claws. Like, yeah, yeah. You, made it, you made it sound like it was just his hands. No, was being I thought weird. it was just no. like a naked dude they like, said running that around they like a wolf. They turned into talons or claws. Wow. That's what they said. <laughs> so anyways, a cop gets handcuffs on him, right? It doesn't work, so they trank him. He's passed out. <laughs> He's passed out. They trank him, right? And, uh, so he, he wait. Yes, it's real. <laughs> so he, <laughs> he wakes up, and he has a beefy breakfast. Or, uh, he says it was a hearty breakfast. He doesn't say what it is, though. And uh, he listened to the entire story, and they read Bill his rights, and uh, they were like, you need to be under observation. Like, this is how it has to work. So he was a voluntary patient, and uh, he had checked himself in completely voluntarily. Uh, within the span of two months, uh, in January of 84, he finished a visit with his mother, and he began to feel an attack coming on. So he went back to the same hospital he was at previously. <laughs> and they're like, oh, fuck this <laughs> guy again. And uh, <laughs> Betty, that guy bit your arm last week, right? She's so, like, oh, my God. <laughs> a nurse was in there and heard the story of what happened last time and freaked out. Yeah. And this time, Bill goes after an orderly that was standing in the room. And uh, so they enter the hospital. They circle him again. They have a standoff, and uh, he started growling and snarling while he was on all fours at the cops. Yeah. And uh, they pretty much were, they advanced on him, and he defended himself for a while. And... Uh, most of those cops, three of the four cops, were in the hospital for four days afterwards because Bill fucked them up, pretty much. <laughs> Bill fucked them up? And uh, they handcuffed him again. They brought him to the car, and uh, he was back to normal, right? All normal, this is going yeah. on. And then um, he would, he's, you know, he's having a weird time. He got really lucky, though, because uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren actually uh, came to visit because they were on a TV show and they heard Bill's story. So they decided to check him out. And um, Lorraine immediately knew that Bill was being possessed, right? And uh, they, they fought and fought and fought, and they finally got the opportunity to talk to him. So they convinced Bill to come to their church in Connecticut, right? So they, they wanted to give him an exorcist under Bishop Bishop Robert McKenna, who was the guy that they used quite, quite often. Yeah. Uh, he made the trip. It was paid for by uh, the magazine The People. They paid for the trip to go out there. So nice. they could write the story. Uh, he was out there with his wife. The night before the exorcism, uh, he tried to strangle his wife in their hotel room. Classic. And um, essentially what happened, they were at a mass, and uh, they did it in Latin for the first half hour. And then Bill transformed in front of the Warrens, his wife, and uh, Bishop McKenna. And uh, he, his face contorted and both of his hands turned into claws. And uh, uh, McKenna just told the demon to leave, so it did. And it never <laughs> happened again. That's all wow. that happened. That's all that happened. It never no happened shit. again. <laughs> yeah, really. No shit. It just left. All right. It never happened again. That was the end of Bill oh. Ramsey's werewolf experience um, an american werewolf in london if you will it's that easy <laughs> yes yes that's like how it works that's what happened but no so yeah, now that's, yeah. what i'm gonna get into here is something i've been bringing up all week and the warrens whether you believe them or not interesting people right they have a story they have a lot to say but it turns out that a lot of their shit is fabricated for the fact of making money or becoming famous 
or even making movies 30 years down the road and becoming relevant again in society. Yeah. And yeah. Irrelevant. The, or yeah, sorry. Yeah. But the biggest thing about them is that they have no evidence. They yeah, have an occult museum. Most they of the things books. are just kind of based on what they claim. They say these things, right? They make these outlandish claims. Here, I have a quote right here from Ed Warren. Quote, I have spent over 30 years in this work. Often an entity identified itself as being the devil, and then through physical and psychological means proves to be just that. End quote. So, Ed says that he's met the devil quite a few times in his work. He just like fist bumps him, he's like, tough dude. And where's the proof? Where is the proof? Their only proof is that they say, well, we saw it, and if you don't believe in God, you don't understand. Yeah. That's their proof. So how can you take what the Warrens say seriously when so many of their high-profile cases, we've just spent time talking about the not-real parts? Yeah, my my whole feeling about all this is it's like the boy who cried wolf. So even if there's some cried truth... Cried werewolf. Oh, yeah, really. Yeah. If there's any kind of truth in these stories you know, from the Warrens... It doesn't matter at this point because they fabricated so many things and just the quotes from people, even like what Warren said, like how all these people are just crazy, we're milking them for money, whatever. It's like it makes them seem so dishonest to the point where it doesn't matter what real shit actually happened. Like you're you're not trustworthy, it's all fake. Yeah, but it just it kinda like one bad uh what what is that? What is that? One bad yeah. apple spoils the yeah, bunch. Yeah, spoils uh-huh. the bunch. Yeah. I mean like you can't really expect anyone to take you seriously when you're desperately trying to prove something that people have tried to prove for hundreds of years and like also present obviously false information and expect us to take it all as truth like it just uh-huh. ruins everything right. ruins everything and you know what just pisses me off about some of this is being, maybe maybe that's my lack of faith for you know lack of a better term funny enough i guess um, so they said that they've done over, what, 10,000 cases, they said? Yep, they claim to be uh, a part of 10,000 cases. How many fucking demons are there, and wouldn't they just kill the Warrens so that they stop messing with their plan? No, it's kind of like the devil. They keep just finding the same ones. Yeah, like, they, so... They're just fist-bumping them at the water cooler, and, like, just like, all right, you ready to make a story? Back to, like, what I ju- <laughs> like the quote I just read from Ed, it's like, how many times can you meet the devil? It's like, lightning doesn't strike the same place twice. You're in Connecticut, and you don't really travel that far. They weren't, like, international. They went to London twice, and, like, everything else was in the northeast of the country. Yeah, that's So what... the devil just hangs out in New York City, like, all yeah, the time? That, yeah, that's what I was saying, how it's like, well, it's like you hit the paranormal jackpot. It's like, no, it's not true. Any, any real experiences that seem genuine are always like, oh, it's only this one occurrence that, you know, happens. You know, it's not all the all this shit, you know, that's happening, It's it seems unrealistic. No, it definitely is. And it's yeah. sad because, like I said, I mean, I've said it a few times, the Warrens have some of the coolest ghost stories that have ever, like, come to fruition. Yeah, and they, they I mean, in a way, paid their dues. They were there. They could yeah. at least say that they were there, whether it's, like, the true amount of time that they were there. They went to these places. They did their own sorts of things. To some degree, so they they put in their legwork, you know. They really did, and it's like they almost uh, they kind of don't talk about that in the movie. But if to me, it makes sense because they are correct in saying that in the movie, where like the Catholic Church, in situations like these, pretty much any church doesn't want to get involved. 
if there's any like inkling be, of doubt, yeah. Right, well, it becomes a media thing, and you don't want to, you know, put your faith on the line and say that we're going to defend this family, and it turns out to not yeah. be real. Catholicism around the world is embarrassed that the Vatican got involved in this thing that turned out to be a hoax. They can't have that. They just right. can't have that. So that's why in the Vatican, people don't really know this, but there's actually special trained priests that their job is specifically exorcism. Yeah, they're like dispatched. like. Uh, and it, yeah. it's very yeah. rare now. I don't even know when the last time they did this was. It's super rare because... I'm pretty sure in like contemporary times in the past five to six years, uh, Catholics in the Vatican City itself have denounced demonic possessions and said that they're not real and never have been. Yeah. So the, Lots it, of cool stuff coming out of the Vatican lately. Not that uh, it happens often, but there actually is a unit of people that their only job is to essentially research and maintain and be ready to work in the field of exorcism. And it's always kind of been that way, too. Like, people are trained to do it. It's not just bim, bam, boom, I want to do it, here it goes. The Pope said it was cool. They're going to send out somebody big. Yeah. And I think Ed kind of played off this with faith, was that he would specifically go to people that believe in God or are susceptible to the idea of God, and he would feed on that and say, the Catholic Church doesn't want to help you, but I will. And then the family was essentially like, well, it's a good God-fearing Christian that wants to help me rid myself of Satan. Mm -hmm. And in a way, it's genius because it, it worked. But when, when I look at it... It's people's faith and right. their misfortunes. When I look at it, it becomes clear that Ed knew that. He knew exactly that the Catholics were never going to touch any of these cases at all. So the best bet was to take it on himself and get paid to do it and look like a good Christian in the process. Yeah. That's my model. That's what I think happened. It worked. It, it did. fucking worked. His entire life. It worked so well that nothing has ever worked better in this field. It's it's pretty true. It is, uh, they're still making money off this. And they're yeah. dead. They're Both of them are dead. dead. So that was the Warren family. Maybe you guys didn't like where we went with this or the information we provided. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, I feel reality. like I came on pretty hard skeptic, but, like, the Warrens have pissed me off. It's lately. the reality yeah. of the story that these things happen, and they're kind of fucking liars. Yeah. That's just how it works. At least that's what most of the evidence... That's, that's kind of why this turned into, like, a one-episode sort of thing rather than a two, because... We were going to do sort of like a framing, like this is what they did, this is the information that they got, everything, and that was going to take up one episode. Then we were going to kind of put in the skeptical stuff, but it's it's so hard to talk about any of it without putting the skeptical right. stuff right in, aside it once you know it. You know what I'm saying? I think that was, what was that Wednesday? I texted you and I said, Jake, we have a huge problem. The Warrens are frauds. Yeah, you're like, the Warrens suck. I can't, I, I don't think I'll be able to contain myself. I was like, all right. And, uh, yeah, then it <laughs> turned into us having a discussion of, we, were just like, we so, need to make this a one episode thing where we talk shit and give the story yeah, together. Exactly. And I think it benefited the story because... This is a better way to do it. I don't want to think about these people for more than a week. Right, and after learning about the reality behind their story... It's very hard for me to keep my mouth shut about them. That quote specifically of Ed, like, oh, well, everybody that comes to us is crazy, is one of the most fucked up You're things. You're paid to make it scary. It's like, all right, well. That's one of the worst things fraud. I've ever heard. Yeah. But, yeah, that's the Warrens. Any, Mitch, you got any last comments or thoughts? I'm about wrapped uh, up here. It, 
it sucks that you know a lot of these stories can't be trusted just from the fact that the Warrens are involved. And you know, you want that want you know there to be some truth in it, but it's like you you can't even trust it. You know. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like most of the stuff, like like I was saying earlier, like a lot of the stuff that they claimed was just to like put in there to make it a better story. Like they were in a way like story writers in, yeah. in just a way of They're like exaggerating. Yeah. Pretty basically it's just, it's a bunch of like a hyperbole, but well, I wouldn't but, say they no. Well, like, like, yeah, probably not that, I'd but like the that. Warrens, like their name is tacked on to all the, that kind of stuff, yeah. but all the information that comes from those cases aside from that, whether it debunks it or not, there is something there. You know, like there, there's something there, oh, and then the Warrens take it and adds add something more to it, take a next step, and then all of it is considered like not true. Like I believe in ghosts. I oh, believe definitely. it happens all the time. I think I definitely believe in ghosts. But like people like the Warrens doing things like this, or at least both of their names tacked onto it, it ruins the entire thing for everybody. Yeah, and I the one thing I do want to say is like I keep throwing out there like the Warrens, the Warrens, the Warrens. My personal opinion is that Lorraine Warren truly believed that she had abilities and powers, and I don't deny that. I think maybe she did. And I think Ed knew that and took advantage of it in a plot to make money. And I think that he hid behind this mask of religion and ghost hunting, and I'm sure Lorraine knew that money was coming in, but I don't believe that she did it based on hurting people. Whereas I think Maybe. Ed I was know. more looking for the money ticket of yeah. any, of anything. I mean, I agree with you. Definitely, he's uh, he's the instigator of most of that. But you you can't not be in on right all like you know you can't not be in on it at a certain point. This happened. They, what was their career like? Forty five years. You yeah. Said? No, there was they, definitely she had a to have been in on some sort of like. All right, we're gonna say this. It's like all right, well that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I but if me personally, Grant's opinion is that Ed is the big ticket problem. And I mean there's people now this is, you know, word against word, you never know. But there's cases where people say that uh you know, they were doing their readings at the table and the table pinned people against the wall and then as soon as Ed stood up the table moved as if Ed was pushing the table against them trying to get them to kind of, like, freak out and panic and say, oh, my God, maybe you're right. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know. They they definitely played into people's fears, especially during the 70s of, like, you know, the satanic panic, Yeah, with all that stuff going on. Film. Like you said, yeah, the film's coming out, the most iconic ones still, like, to date. They Yeah, they definitely played of, into like, that. Yeah, genre. But, yeah, so that was Ed and Lorraine Warren. Yeah, uh, sorry just... to tell you guys. They make great movies. They're very interesting people. Their careers are long-spanning and extremely intense. They got a great resume, but uh, everyone are, lies on their resume, you know. They're it's, in it for the money. That's like what it is. Yeah. They're, and it worked. They work hard like for the said. money. So hard for the money. Come on, money, money, money. Give me lots of honey. That's what, what happened. Was that was that even a thing? Was that... No, it's from The Simpsons, remember? No. Homer saying it says, I work hard for the money. Oh, come my on, God. Come on, something, right, something, no. something. Come on, give me lots of honey. Oh, my God. That's when he has the bees, right? Yeah, In Homer the backyard. J. Oh, my God. Homer J. That guy. How could I have forgotten that? I just want to, this on a lighter note, getting off the fraudulent con artists that yeah, are at Making a mockery of the very thing we're uh, very devoted to. Remember when Homer J. 
Simpson found out that the J in his middle name stood for J. Yeah. <laughs> was that not like the most ridiculous no, it, thing? He moves the bush aside. It's like I'm about to find out. And the Betsy's like, I'm from now no on, you'll Homer know me J. as Simpson. <laughs> I'm Homer J. Simpson. <laughs> it's like, what? I know. That was the best. Homer is fucking amazing. Oh, He's what the a best. great guy. Uh, Bart Sampson's kind of cool, but Homer takes the cake. Purple Monkey Dishwasher. Homer and Moe, they're a much more reasonable duo uh, than Ed and Lorraine Warren because they're just trying to they're trying to spook you and make you nervous and susceptible to their ideas so that they can either charge you money or own the rights to the story and sell it later for profit and marketing for their occult museum. Yeah, yeah. Bim, bam, boom. Check it out. That's what happens. That's exactly what happens. But, uh... We're sorry if we ruined anything. Yeah, sorry about that. Good good thing they can't harm anyone else and steal their money. Thank God they're dead. They're gone. Holy shit. (laughs) No, they still have their museum open. It's 13 bucks, I think, still. They're gone now. You can still go see Annabelle. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. The doll. I don't know. I just I don't believe it. I think it's stupid. apparently they yeah they have like a they have a satanic idol that was found in the woods outside of Sandy Hook didn't they didn't they say <laughs> or something like that <laughs> isn't yeah, that fucked <laughs> because Satan did that and not a crazy person. yeah not a not a a terrible young man not a it dist- extremely deranged lunatic that had a weapon it was Satan it was everything the idol. is Satan you have if to you charge could, thirteen dollars to see it though if you could take away anything from this episode. Uh, if you ask Ed or Lorraine Warren, everything that's wrong in the world is literally Satan. Everything. Yep. And he manifest, manifests himself all the time. It's like his favorite hobby. He's like their best fucking friend. Do they not realize that that guy's got a busy job, a full-time job, if you will, 40 hours a week or more, reigning over hell? He doesn't have time to be doing this. He's probably got some doesn't. overseers, right? He, nah, you he can't, has to vacation. You can't delegate down there. They're not good people. Well, yeah, but if they, if they, uh, you know, you're gonna if leave they, Stalin in charge, they'll all die. Well, <laughs> well, if they, well, yeah, that is true. They'll go to the second. But hell. if they cross Satan, like you know, there's gonna be even there's like a hell, hell maybe. For them, yeah, the hell of hell. If you don't listen to the devil, it's what the, happens? It's the second hell. You know how there's like the this or what is? Doesn't Dante have like the thirteen the, layers? It's of hell? the layers. It's the same hell though. Oh, nine, whatever, yeah. whatever it is. Or no, seven. What is? I don't know what it is. I thought it was like thirteen. It's a bunch of layers of hell. Thirteen no. sounds good. Yeah, they're all. I don't know. They're all pretty bad. Uh, maybe I'm thinking of like a chocolate cake. <laughs> Ooh, devil's food. Yeah. But uh. The funniest fact is that uh, if what the information out there says is true, Ed Warren is actually in hell, if that's what he believes. Yeah, probably. Because he lied in the name of God to make money, which is a sin. So if there's any saving grace to this, it's that Ed was a terrible person. And he went to hell. Maybe they're all, (laughs) like, telling the truth and we're all, like, wrong, but the odds of that are insane even more insane <laughs> than jody the pig monster yeah even what that guy said about uh lorraine he's like yeah if I had, if she, uh, what was the quote well was, i know she, i remember it if she I remember. said the sun was gonna come up tomorrow i'd ask for a second opinion yeah it's like geez man that's crazy that's a deep cut dude that's yeah a low blow. That's, i like it it's a, it, it reminds me of uh, uh, uh you couldn't hit water if you fell out of a boat like one yeah. of those things <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Ed and Lorraine Warren, fraudulent, 
Uh, they're evil, satanic, worshipping people. No, that's not true no, at all. No, but They're just liars. They are not very good people. Uh, but yeah, that was our episode on them. Uh, yeah, hopefully yeah. we didn't upset you too much. Uh, also, keep in mind... Their stories are still very much worth looking into. No, yeah. I mean, they're still making the movies. They're still, like, relatively good movies. And the stories themselves, I think, are better. Yeah. Uh, do some research behind what the Warrens did also, and you'll still mm-hmm. find some pretty interesting, cool stuff. Like I said earlier, don't trust Snopes. Do your own research on everything. Snopes. Snoops. Snoops, Snopes. But, yeah, so uh, that was us. Uh, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, email. We got it all Patreon. Yeah, we're Patreon. We're still we're uh, the uh, we're the solid- big uh, addition to the Patreon. Um, yeah, we're solidifying patrons. dates. Yeah, now. we're solidifying dates. It's gonna be up pretty soon. You guys are gonna have a good time. I'll give you a little, just a little update. We got a project coming, right? It's a long, it's a, it, it's very nostalgic for us. We'll give more details later once it's solidified. But uh, once we can get all these schedules uh, together and we can give ourselves a weekend here to do something. We're going to have some real special shit on Patreon for it. It's actually something that we mentioned in a uh, a previous episode, uh, just as a passing idea. It's true. And uh, so, yeah, go back and listen to all our episodes at least once, maybe twice. A couple times. And try to figure it out. Email us. And if you get it right, that's awesome. You get it. That's so sick. (laughs) That's that's it. That'd be crazy if you did that. Good job. We love you all very much and have a great time. Doing your life. We are starting a cult. Bye. Bye bye. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.